you will, please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8 as we continue our study in Romans chapter 8. Some of you have taken on the challenge of memorizing this chapter. I already had one person say it back to me, but I think, calm down. They, I think they'd been working on it for a while. They didn't start from scratch or anything. I think they were familiar with it. But, um, but they've already said it, and you know, no pressure there. I, I'm not saying like at the end of this, if you don't have it memorized, we'll excommunicate you, nothing like that. But, um, but I, just, I just think it's important to m- try to memorize God's word. And I think it's just a good practice as, as a Christian, we need to be memorizing God's word and we need to be reading it. And, and I can't think of a better chapter to memorize or to start memorizing than Romans chapter eight. We're going to be looking at um, Romans chapter 8, verse 16, down to verse 25. Romans uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 25. So hear now the word of the Lord. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen. And amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for um, your word, what it does in us and through us, what it reveals about us, that we are infinitely more loved than we ever thought we could be, Um, that we are in your hands, and that um, we have awaiting for us an inheritance that is incorruptible. I pray that even now, as we look into your word, you might bless us and that we might walk away transformed even more so in your image. And so bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, last time I was with you, I spoke on the subject of adoption. And... Um, that was great because uh, a week or so later, I actually got to witness an adoption. Well, I say we, I say I, but I really mean we. Like there are 
40 of us that showed up to watch an adoption, and you know that whenever CVPC shows up, we normally roll 40 deep, you know? We, it's like an entourage that we carry, and it was, it was super beautiful because we go into this um, judge's office, and we're all scrunched up together, and, and, uh, and with a stroke of a pen, you know, uh, a young lady was adopted into the family of God, and I turned to my wife and I said, man, I really wish I saw this before I preached on adoption, you know, like, like this would be awesome just to like relay. And, and she looked at me, she was like, oh, honey, um, why don't you just preach the sermon again? Like, you know, like, don't, don't worry about it. And I was like, ah, you know, I thought about it. And I was like, I can't do that. You know, they pay me to preach every Sunday. So, you know, don't want to shortchange them or anything. And then, so I looked and I knew what was coming next. I knew suffering was coming next. And I was like, you know, it's really strange. What, what does our adoption have to do with suffering? Like, why does he put those two things together? And, and after watching this adoption happen and to see this young lady being placed into a, a loving, caring, wonderful home, it just finally struck me. I mean, read, read what Paul is saying in context here for a moment. Paul is saying that, that we've been adopted by God and that, and that we can call him Abba Father and we, we have this glorious inheritance and we're heirs with Christ and, and all of these beautiful things that we have treasures waiting for us in heaven. And the obvious question then is this, why do we get adopted only to suffer? Like, why is that? Why is it that right after we hear this glorious reality that we've been adopted into the family of God, the obvious question is, okay, then did we just get adopted to suffer? Like, I thought when you adopt someone, you take them out of a bad situation and you put them in probably a better situation, right? That's typically how it goes. But Paul knows that, that that's actually not the case. We still suffer. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones um, who, by the way, preached 50 sermons on Romans chapter 8. I'm only going to do 10. But he did 50. And, in, and when he was commenting on Romans 8, 17, he said this, and the sermon is called The Problem with Suffering. He said, Paul is concerned with Christian assurance and that suffering threatens that security. And it's true. If we were to be honest, suffering does cause us to question the goodness of God. When we find out that we have a chronic disease that cannot be healed, or when we watch our parents slowly die, or if you've been wrestling with a mental illness for a long period of time, or like many of us in here struggling with spiritual dryness, and even some of you with cancer therapy, I don't care who you are. If you've been suffering long enough, you'll begin to question whether or not God is good. And so Paul attempts to give an answer for that in this passage. And let me warn you in advance, this, this is not a technique for suffering. He doesn't give us that. He doesn't give us a technique for suffering. He doesn't give us a life hack to deal with suffering. That's not what he does here. Instead, Paul points us to the gospel. And he reminds us of who we are in Christ and our calling. 
And so that's what I'm going to do today, briefly. Now, I want to say something. Uh, when I was younger um, and much more healthier and thinner, um, I, used to, I used to hear sermons on suffering all the time. And I, I used to tune it out. Why do I need that? I'm, I'm young and healthy. I don't need to hear a sermon on suffering. And maybe that's you today. You're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I'm healthy. What, what do I need to learn about uh, a sermon on suffering? Let me, let me tell you this. Pay attention. The day is coming when you will have to break out Romans 8. Specifically this passage. Because suffering will come. Suffering will come. So here are the four things I want to tell you, and don't worry, I'll be brief. First of all, I want to see the goal of suffering. The goal of suffering. Notice with me in verse number 17, Paul says, And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. If you're taking notes, or you are want to mark in your Bible, Underline in order that, because that, that phrase, in order that, that preposition in order that means that there's a goal behind our suffering. There's a, there's a telos, as the Greeks would say. There's an aim behind our suffering. And for the Christian, we know that when we suffer, the end or the goal is our glorification, Paul says, that we'll be made like Christ, that we'll be... Uh, fully made in his image. That's, that's why you and I endure suffering. There's an end or an aim behind this. Let me be quick to say this. This is radically different from what our secular society thinks when it comes to suffering. I remember one day I was at the gym working out several years ago. And it, I think it was about 2015, because there was a number of tragedies that happened there. ISIS was running around. The Charleston shootings happened. Um, there was the Charlie Hubno shooting. And as I was in the gym, one of my friends came in, and he made a beeline to me, and he said, look at all that's happening in the world. You're a Christian. You tell me, why does God allow people to suffer? And so I looked back at him, and I knew that embedded in the question is a false understanding that suffering has no purpose, no design, no end goal. I knew that for him. Because in a secular society, suffering is inconvenient at best and cruel at worst. He couldn't see that there was a purpose or something behind it. And so I told him, I said, if God didn't have a goal or a purpose, behind our suffering, then that would be cruel. I agree with you. If God didn't have a purpose or an end or uh, something that is behind that suffering, then it would be cruel. He would be a cruel God. He would be a cruel father to his children. And we all understand this. I remember Theresa and I was sitting down in a doctor's office with George. And um, he had a glossal duct cyst. Some of you know what that is. It's a very, actually, it's very rare. He was a medical marvel. And so as we were sitting down there, they told us, they said, now, Mr. Lewis, we're going to have to uh, go to the base of your son's throat, and we have to make an incision right here. And then we have to uh, cut out a piece of the tongue and, 
and staple it back together or sew it back together and then push it back in. And all I could hear from the doctor is, I have to slit your son's throat. That's all I heard. That's all I heard. And we were panicking. Now let me say this. That was traumatic for us. And I can't imagine us would willingly allow a doctor to perform that surgery if there wasn't an aim or a goal behind it. My wife had to have a C-section for our children. Couldn't imagine allowing a doctor to cut open her stomach if at the end of that there wasn't a child. And you, some of you have had very painful and difficult surgeries, but there was always a telos behind it or a reason. And so the first thing Paul says here to each and every one of us is that even though traumatic things happen to us, even though horrific, difficult things happen to us, it's not without reason. There's a telos. And the telos is our glorification. Meaning this, that God wants to present us faultless before the throne of grace. And the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? See, that's what Christianity forces us to do, forces us to grapple with the truth of Scripture. When you suffer, do you say to yourself, this is for my sanctification and my glorification? Because that's what Paul is saying here. Your suffering has a telos. It has an aim. It has a point. It's never for any without reason. The second thing that Paul points to is the grace of God in our suffering. Notice verse number 18, and you see this in two ways in particular. The first way we see it is that as we go through the process of suffering, the Holy Spirit works in us to produce the mindset necessary to endure suffering. How do we see that? Look at verse number 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glories that will be revealed to us. Again, if you're in the, you know, in the habit of underlining your Bible, underline, for I consider. Because the word for I consider is Paul's favorite word in the book of Romans. In fact, it's, it, Paul uses this word more than anybody else. He uses it 19 times in this. And, and it's where we get the word logic. Paul says that when we undergo suffering, we need to think logically and apply the truth to Scripture in our life. Why is that? Because all of us know that when we begin to suffer, the emotional toll of that causes us to think irrationally. We begin to doubt God and what he has done for us. Everybody knows that in the midst of a suffering, in suffering, we don't think clearly. And so the first thing Paul says is that God gives us the grace to endure suffering by helping us to think logically about what's happening to us. I read this story, and it nearly brought tears to my eyes. It's about the, in 1960, uh, 19, sorry, 1631, the covenanter Robert Bruce was sentenced to death for preaching the gospel. And on the morning of his execution, his daughter cooked him an egg for breakfast, at his request. And it was so nice, he said, that he almost asked his daughter to cook him another one. Then he paused and said to her, I breakfasted with you this morning. I'll have supper with Jesus tonight. 
it takes the grace of God in the midst of that type of suffering to pause and remember there's something beyond this world. It does. When we're lying in our beds sick, or again, we're watching the ones we love die, perhaps even when the next COVID-like thing happens to us, are we going to pause and think about what God is trying to do in that moment? That's a grace to God to us, that we're able to do that, to just pause and reflect on the goodness of God. But the second thing, notice what Paul says about the grace of God that he wants us to reflect on and remember. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What is he saying here? Now, here's what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that if you hold on long enough in this world and you suffer through things, then there's a prize at the end. Because then that would be transactional. That's not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying something even much more profound than that. The word here that's translated um, not worth is a comparative word. It means simply this, that our sufferings in this present world is not a worthy adversary for what God's plan is for us in the next world. To say it a different way, no matter how much we suffer, no matter how long we suffer, it will never thwart the plan of God to glorify his people. That's what it means. Never. No matter if the Alzheimer's take away our mind. No matter if the cancer eats away at our liver. No matter if we are persecuted for righteousness sake. There is no suffering in this world that can thwart the plans of God in our lives. Christians, do you believe that? Do you believe that? I remember Theresa and I had a trip planned to the Bahamas. We were so excited, ready to go. And then wouldn't you know it, a big storm came. Man, we tried everything we can to get to the Bahamas. We, we called all sorts of different airports. We were ready to drive 10 hours just so we could find a flight. But the storm was so large, we couldn't go. And I remember going into the room of a parent's house and just weeping because I wanted to see my family. And in that moment, these, this passage dawned on me that I'm thankful that the sufferings I experience in this world will not rob me of the glory of heaven. It might have robbed me to paradise, but not heaven. That's the truth of scripture that you need to hold on to. Paul says it a little differently in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Nothing compares to what God has for us and nothing can stop what God has for us. So if you're suffering in here today, remember that. Let's look at the third thing. Notice the grand scale of the suffering, verse 19 through 23. Paul talks about the creation waits with eager longing to the revealing of the sons of God. 
What is Paul talking about here when he talks about creation suffering? This seems out of place here, but what Paul is saying in essence is that all creation is suffering with us. That there's a global reality to our suffering. That suffering is not localized to fallen man, but it's on a global scale. It affects every aspect of creation as a result of the fall. I pulled up the headlines this morning, and it said severe weathers knock down trees and thousands without power. Eight dogs died of heat stroke in a car. A woman and a baby were abducted and kidnapped in Haiti. There's massive protests breaking out in various parts of the world. There's the war in Ukraine. And that's not even to speak of the perennial sufferings we face in our society with the abortion of the unborn, the ongoing racism, and, and the sex trafficking, and the systemic poverty. That's the world you live in. That's the sufferings that we experience on a grand scale. But Paul says in the face of that great suffering, you and I need to remember two things that are absolutely critical. Notice the first one in verse number 20. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And again, underline that in your Bible because that's critical. The point that Paul is saying here is that everything that causes suffering in the world will one day experience a divine reversal. That's the end hope. Everything. From the wickedness of man, from the corruption of creation, through Satan himself. Everything that causes disease from old age, it will all be reverse. That's the point that Paul is making. And notice the second thing he says in verse number 23, that there will be a redemption of the body. In other words, God will redeem all things. He will make all things new. That's the source of the hope that's spoken of in 24 and 25. There's real hope to be found in the fact that not only will God uh, remove all things that cause suffering, but at the same time, he will redeem our bodies. That's the hope that you have, Christian. And now I want you to notice, lastly, the God of suffering. Notice verse number 23. Actually, uh, go back up to verse number 17. Now this passage, or this verse in verse number 17, says that we suffer with Christ. But I want you to know the reverse is true. Christ suffers with us. This morning in, our, in my worship time, I read Isaiah 53, and I often do to remind me of who Christ is. And Isaiah 53 says two things that's powerful. First of all, that Christ suffers for us. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Meaning this, that he suffers for you. Your suffering in this world is always mitigated because Christ himself bears our suffering. You never suffer as much as you should. Never. That's the promise of scripture. But this passage also reminds us of something else. 
and that's Christ suffers with us. With us. Alongside of us. As we are suffering. Listen, every time one of our children is in the hospital, um, it is the case that my wife never leaves their side. No matter how long they're in the hospital. And I look at her and I marvel at her because she's uncomfortable, she's tired. You can tell that she's exhausted, but she always stays there with him. And I know many of you do the same. If your child is in the hospital, you wouldn't want to leave them because you don't want them suffering alone. Well, I'm here to tell you today that we have a Savior that never lets you suffer alone. He is always there with you. He's with you in your suffering. Tim Keller, in one of his talks, said that every time he endures suffering, the biggest problem is that he struggles to believe that God actually loves him. And I said amen to that because it's true. But he said one of the reasons why he knows that God loves us is because he came to earth and willingly suffered with us. With us. That's the hope of the gospel, that our Lord suffers with us. Now, what's the big takeaway? Because I always leave you with one. Well, the big takeaway today is actually the last song we sang in our uh, songs and stories. And Scott Kennedy, Scott Finch said uh, he played... Uh, hymn number 676, day by day with each passing moment. I want you to listen to the words because it sums up the sermon. But it's also one of those songs that you sing in the midst of suffering. It says, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. Meaning this, that God leads you into suffering. And he's leading you out of it. I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what deems best. Lovingly is part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil and peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear me and cheer me in who, he whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child and treasure is a, is a charge and that on himself he laid. As your days, your strength shall be in measure. This pledge to me he made. And the last verse is this. Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust your promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within your holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand, one by one the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. Father, we thank you. That your people never suffer alone. I thank you that even in this world as we suffer, we know that we suffer with a goal in mind to make us more like Christ. And so help us. There are many in here I know who are suffering. And they need to know that you love them and you're near to them. May it be so, O oh Lord. And for the one that does not know you as Lord and personal Savior, my heart grieves because they are suffering without hope. 
They're suffering without Christ. May they turn to you even today. In Jesus' name, amen.